You only clap when you need the preacher, huh? <laughs> well, we, we practice that in everything. I don't know what happened there with the, uh, with the timing. There was a time when we did, remember when we shared the building with Woodland Hills and we had, we had a service, we had service in Easter in the gym and one here and we switched the order. We had sermon first songs and then we, anyway, I was late getting here and I think Nick Crawf- Crawford did improvisational comedy for, uh, for a couple of minutes, but uh, we are in a series, and we've been talking about prayer. Everybody knows that, and I'm going to pause for a second just to get my breath. <laughs> there we have it. It's back. And we said, as we've talked about prayer, that we live in a world because of, because of pain, really theologically, because we live in a broken world. Um, it's, and we live in a global world, the New York Times best-selling Author talked about how the earth is flat. We can find out just with a finger and a phone. We can find out what's happening all around the world. And when there's a senseless tragedy or something that hits us, we say, you know, our thoughts and prayers. And this phrase, thoughts and prayers, has uh, in many ways for some has become offensive because the idea there is that it seems passive or indifferent or cold. It seems like it's not a call to action. But hear me this morning when I say this, I'm just stating it differently this morning, but when Jesus, when we follow Jesus in prayer, when we pray as Jesus taught us to pray, it's not a substitute for action. It's not an alternate to action. It's a form of action. It's a source of action. I would love to take time all day, you wouldn't stay, but just to illustrate how I've seen this. But I I think of one family that I know and love so well and they uh, became empty nesters, uh, not too far for us. And when they became empty nesters, that's a whole new season of life. That, it tests the metal of love and marriage. And they said, hey, we, uh, we, need to, um, we need to do new things. And one of the new things that they did was pray, to pray together. And they began to pray kingdom prayers. You know the Lord's Prayer that we just walk in line by line, verse by verse in Matthew 6. Uh, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So your name, your kingdom, your will, uh, a surrendered will. They began to pray that way. And they said, hey, as empty nesters, we have have empty rooms. And they invited, they opened up their house to someone uh, who's from a broken family who had every disadvantage in the world and they opened up their home you see when we pray god transforms us it's a form of action it's a source of action we begin to pray and some of the petty things that we pray about melt away and we begin to think more kingdom mindedly and that's this idea so we come today to this part of the prayer where jesus taught us famously lead us pray this pray this lead us not in temptation but deliver us from evil the more correct translation for us should be yielded deliver us from the evil one one more time for the folks in the back in the balcony satan is not a metaphor he is real and we say this often don't picture uh, the pitchfork and the red suit and the comical version of the enemy but picture one who's the adversary who's the accuser and anybody does counseling anybody uh you know ministering to people knows that uh, we go through that we accuse and we feel accused and we accuse ourselves many times uh, so many of us are our own worst critic and that's where the enemy gets us by falsely accusing us uh, condemning us and so The enemy is real. Deliver us from the evil one. I want us to focus today on this idea. Lead us not into temptation. There's a lot of ways, a lot of directions this sermon could go on Father's Day. 
I want to keep it for everybody today, but lead us not into temptation. Temptation is an obstacle. Wouldn't you agree? Like just if temptation can be an obstacle, everybody faces temptation. And if we were, um, you know, this was a book, we'd probably do a glossary of terms. You ever read like you're starting out, charting a new course and learning something that you don't know and you're reading a book and there's a glossary of terms that defines things. And listen, temptation is not in and of itself sin. Jesus was without sin. You and I, not so much. But Jesus was without sin, but he was tempted. So to be tempted is not a sin. And so let me ask it again, see if any of you nod your head. Temptation is an obstacle for all of us, isn't it? And uh, I think of a, a few years back, many years ago, Susan signed me up for a race. It was an eight-mile race. And she, so she said to me without any subtlety, she said, hey, I've signed you up for an eight-mile race. I think she wanted me to get to know some people. And, uh, but then a month later, she checked in with me. I found out she wasn't even going to be in town. She's going to be on a women's retreat. So she just asked how my preparation was going. But I noticed that her terminology had changed. She was not talking about a race, but it seemed like she was saying an obstacle course. And so when I asked her about her change in terminology, she told me, oh, I, innocently, she said, oh, I didn't tell you there's obstacles along the way. So it's an eight-mile run, and there's obstacles. How many obstacles, babe? 30. So I did the math in my head. That's about every quarter of a mile, there'll be some type of obst- obstacle. So I said, uh, what kind of obstacles? And she said, you know, it doesn't matter. You're man enough to overcome any obstacle. And she had a point. So... The day of the race, the run comes, and I'm telling y'all, I was climbing over rock formations and crawling under barbed wire. I was cutting my back. There was, there was blood, um, no profanity, just prayer and blood and sweat and tears. And, and I, was, I was climbing and crawling, and I was working my way through mud. There was so much mud. And then there were monkey bars. The third obstacle on the course involved monkey bars now that sounds fun doesn't it monkey bars anybody take your kids to play on monkey bars some of you dads have built monkey bars monkey bars that sounds so fun but this was 25 yards of monkey bars I'm telling y'all I was hallucinating at this point but there were like I was envisioning monkeys saying no to these monkey bars and so I, I, I tried the best I could with these monkey bars and just on and on tons of mud did I mention that crawling military style under these barbed wire fences and it got to a point where and you're probably wondering did I finish listen I'm proud to say I finished but I cheated I just at, at some point along the way about halfway through I just stopped with the obstacles I would just limp around them and I thought you know I may not be identified as a local pastor because I've got mud all over me like my bib number is it, no one can see it and all so I'm just going to make my way through and here's what I'm saying to you this morning that it wasn't the run that did me in it was the obstacles it wasn't the race itself, it was the obstacles. In Hebrews 12, 1 uh, says this, the writer puts it this way when it talks about our journey, written so long ago, but for you and I today. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. In other words, you weren't just tempted, you gave in to sin. Let's lay aside the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And I'm almost like, you know, like Susan that day. I feel like there's a little innocence with the scripture there. But not, if you know Hebrews 12, 1 comes after Hebrews 11, the whole chapter is Faith's Hall of Fame. And it tells a story after story of women and men who didn't just run a race, 
But they had obstacle after obstacle, and at times it just seemed like they weren't going to get through it. But they persevered, and they ran the race. So when we talk today about deliver us from evil, lead us not into temptation, temptation, let's acknowledge, is an obstacle for all of us. James, the half-brother of Jesus, in the first chapter, would write about two big obstacles that all of us face. I want to use this diagram to illustrate uh, what he's talking about. Um, In James chapter 1, the first part there, it talks about troubles, and it says that there are various troubles. Can anybody relate to that? Like, it'd be cool if there was only one kind of trouble, and you could master how to get past that one kind of trouble, but there's various trials that come our way, and the crazy thing is we're told to count it all joy, which sounds on the surface like an insult, but I can tell you from experience, it's the only way to sanity in this world. Reckon, count, consider are three of the words the English translations use. And there are times when you just have to stop and say, I need to consider. I need to count. This is what I need. I need to reckon. That sounds like a good southern word. I reckon. We need to reckon that this could be joy, that there could be something going on behind the surface, something behind the curtain that we cannot see, a greater purpose than the pain that we are experiencing. So James says, here's an obstacle on your course. Here's an obstacle on your race. It's trouble. But there's another one, and it's what we're talking about today. Lead us not into temptation. Another obstacle is the temptations that we face. Jesus would say, about troubles, John 16, in this world you will have trouble. And we know today as we're talking, he said and he taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation. So what do these two have in common? Let's start there. What they have in common is that they can both be like an unwanted house guest that just burst in and stays way too long. They are not, both troubles and temptation are unwanted in our lives but they affect all of us. You uh, could be a a monk in a monastery or a woman at the mall. You could be uh, someone praying in a sanctuary of prayer or a salesman driving a Porsche. It's no respecter of persons. It doesn't uh, honor any titles. It doesn't matter what you have in any account. It is no respecter of anybody in this room or at home. None of us are exempt from these. I read recently that there are some things that we can learn at rock bottom that we can't learn on a mountaintop. And thus, trouble, if you follow this progression, God is saying, if you can hang on, there can be something that can be produced in your life. Now, don't hang on with great bitterness and cynicism, but hang on with some optimism. Hang on with some faith. Speak it out and see what follows Call the fact of God's word into that situation and watch your feelings follow at some point. But here's this progression. You'll notice the error that we've created. Troubles, it says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials or troubles, knowing that the testing of your faith can produce endurance and endurance can produce completeness or wholeness or maturity. And oh, what a gift. Who wants to be half a person? Who wants to be a divided person? Who wants to be fractured? We uh, tend to think that we want to be successful. This is my image of success. I'll follow it at all costs because I want to be successful. Here's what you want. The success metrics is always changing. 
And you're going to think this is success and you're not going to be able to get success or you're going to think this is success and you achieve the success and you're left wondering about it. But the goal for us is to be mature. You say, Pastor, I thought the goal was love. Well, the goal is love. If you read Ephesians 4, it says that we're to preach and teach and lead and be together as a family of believers so that we would be joined together, so that we would be built up, so that we would be mature, so that we would love, that we would reflect the one who loves us, who made us, who calls us to love the world in all of its darkness. So troubles produce something, but here's the difference James wants to be clear on. Lead us not into temptation, Jesus asks us to pray. Troubles can be brought about in your life by God. He can bring it about directly, or he can allow it to happen. That's an endless debate. Philosophical speculation runs rampant. Some of you ask me about your particular circumstance or situation. I take my best stab at it, but I have to open my hands and humbly say, I don't know. Does he cause it? Does he allow it? But the difference between troubles and temptations, there are many, but troubles can be caused or brought on by God. However, temptation, no. So James 1, 2 to 4, I quoted it for you there. James 1, 14, 15, even before that, it says this, that each person is tempted on his own. So you hadn't sinned yet, but you're tempted. You have evil desires. One writer puts it this way. What we need from, from temptation to move to, to lust or to sin is we, we need outward bait and we need inward desire. All right, let's be real. You need an outward bait. This is a fishing. James was a fisherman. Jesus taught him how to fish. Peter was a fisherman. They fished, and so they used illustrations that were common to their day. And this is in James 1, it's, when it talks about temptation, it, it talks about an enticement, an alluring. There's a bait that it looks good, and it makes a lot of promises. It winks at you. It beckons you, and it says, try this, travel here, buy this, enter into this portal, and see what happens. It will make you feel good. And so there's an outward bait. What is it for you? And there's an inward desire. The essence of Christianity is not to subjugate desires and deny desires. The, Jesus calls us. In fact, he, he relates it not to morality. Some of us are so focused on morality and behavior. Like, can I just say that's dull? Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because he knew you had desire." And so we have desire, but when desire runs amok, when desire gets distorted, then we're enticed. An outward date, oh, that looks good. With an inward desire, and the combination is enticement. And James, just loosely quoting it, count it all joy when you fall into troubles, but when you're tempted, temptation is going to come your way. And it says this, here's the progression. It says that there's this desire. When desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin has its full work, it leads to death. Now, what's Scripture talking about there? It's not, let me just get ahead of myself. It's not talking about physical death. We'd all be corpses. Not physical death. Oh, okay, uh, spiritual death. I know where the pastor's going. I don't have to listen. It's not even talking about spiritual death because you can't work your way there. You can't avoid temptation and earn your way into heaven. So what is scripture talking about? Before we uh, address that real quickly, sin, I don't know if you know this, I learned it recently, the Oxford Dictionary has removed the word sin from its, from its book. And it said, it justified it, it said, because the word has fallen into disfavor and is unrecognized by a younger generation. I just quoted Oxford Dictionary. It's fallen, the word, hear me, the word has fallen into disfavor and is unrecognized by a younger generation. There are synonyms. If you're going to drop something from the dictionary, like Pluto is no longer a planet, sin got dropped from the dictionary. But if you're going to, if you're going to 
remove something, you're going to replace it. So it's been replaced. You could probably guess this. It's been replaced by words like uh, indiscretion, lapse of judgment, mistake, accident. First wedding I ever did, I married a bunch of y'all. First wedding I ever did, I walked out and I tripped and fell. That was an accident. The Bible doesn't say for all are mistakers. It says, for all have sinned. All of us are sinners. And this is what fractures us. This is what gives us a lack of wholeness and completeness. This, in many ways, is the root cause of your insomnia. This is uh, why you're avoiding a hard conversation. This is why you have a loss of self-respect. This is the reason for so much pain and division. We need to recapture this word. Now, if you've been in this beautiful neighborhood of Fondren, you'll know that there are some religious people, I'm just gonna say it, and they show up when some of us, uh, I like to party, and we're out there trying to have a good time and they've got the bullhorns, like actual bullhorns, and they're yelling and they have a big emphasis on sin. Look, can I just say, I want none of that. I, I don't want any part of that, but I do wanna make sure that when I disciple and I'm leading my family and leading this faith family and talking to you, that we're not trying to remove this word. When I walked out that wedding, first one I ever did and tripped and fell, that was an accident. But some of your struggles in mine and what we're battling, it's not an accident. It's not merely a lapse in judgment. It's sin. And Jeremiah says the sin, the heart is deceitfully wicked. So death, I said a few moments ago, is not referring to physical death or spiritual death. Let me give you one um, passage here. There's so many, but this is one from Proverbs. The way of the godly leads to life. That path does not lead to death. Uh, Proverbs uh, 13, 14 is another example. Deuteronomy, oh, that, we, we do have it. The way of the godly leads to life. That path does not lead to death. Deuteronomy 30, there are other passages. I'll just give you a, a couple here. But the idea among the Jewish Christians was that, again, they're not talking about physical death or spiritual death, but there's paths. Their understanding was everybody's on a path. You're either on a path that leads, that's leading to life or you're on a path that's leading to death. So it'd be good for me to ask you today, while I got you, what path are you on? If you keep doing what you're doing, Proverbs 4 says, guard your heart. Y'all know that. You Christian girls talk about that a lot when you got a guy that's in your vicinity that may be no good. But it says also to ponder the path of your feet. What path? What, what, if you just keep walking, if you keep doing the things that you're doing, where is it going to take you? Is it going to take you to life or is it going to take you to death? You see, there's different outcomes in this life. I mean, forget the next one. I rarely say that. But just in this life, you're either on a path that's leading to more life or you're on a path that's leading to death. Remember, uh, deliver us from the evil. One is the one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus, John 10, says, I want, I want to come in. I want you to have life. And that's what he wants to give us. So temptation. What does it do to us? What are you facing today? What's the outward bait that brings you down? That brings you shame? That you wonder today, man, preacher, don't get in my business here. I shouldn't have come to church. It's really bad when you come to church and you got somebody on the road and they're nudged. You don't have to be married to them. Even friends can nudge each other on some sins that they know that you have. Mark Anthony, uh, 32-ish BC, 
uh, in the Roman era, like with Mark Anthony, not the one that dated J-Lo for a while, but Mark Anthony that, you know, with uh, Julius Caesar and Augustus and Cleopatra. He was a cunning military general. He was a, what they call in public speaking, he was a silver-tongued devil. He could stand up and mesmerize a crowd, but he just couldn't control his empire, his, his impulses and desires. And there was a young man that said to him in the Roman world back in the day, Oh, Marcus, colossal child, able to conquer the world, but unable to resist a temptation. That said, in the Greco-Roman world, we don't necessarily speak this way that we would say, man, dude, grow up. Like, really, grow up. Like, you got this success outwardly, but man, look, at, look what you're doing. Look who you're hurting, and you're, you're hurting yourself. So let's, let's chill on Marcus for a second and just think about me and you. When our desires become distorted, when those desires con- conceived give birth to sin, And that sin could lead to death, the death of like being on the wrong path, not having the life that God intends us to have. What could be the results? I I thought of a few, not a rhetorical question. Here's a few. Where might you find yourself? What's your story? When we give into temptation, when we follow into dark paths, it can result in the following, a loss of character, a loss of self-respect, a loss of other people's respect. Loss of family, loss of testimony, loss of joy and peace. No, recognize a common word on the left side. And every time we go after a bait, what do we think? I'm going to catch that fish. I'm going to get something. I'm going to gain something. I'm going to gain this. I'm going to go for it, and I'm going to I want it, and I'm going to gain it. But in the gaining, it's the cruel irony of life, and there's testimony after testimony. Man, I got testimony. I just ain't going to tell y'all. But we gain, gain, I want to get, I want to get, I want to get outward bait, inward desire, but it results in a loss. That means you got to be careful. Proverbs, the prudent sees danger and takes notice. They see something coming, they want to stay away from it. Continuing on, an injury to your career, a ruined reputation, stress and sickness, a draining of finances. And one that you hear me talk about from time to time, the dangers, the damages of a secret life. Jesus taught us, in this world you will have trouble. Trouble's an obstacle, isn't it? There are just some things, and when you talk about trouble, when we think about trouble and God working through trouble, look, there are just some things, quoting from somebody, that you're going to learn at rock bottom that you're not going to learn on a mountaintop. Give God time to do his thing. But don't think of God... Don't think of God as a mad scientist, like torturing his subjects. Ah, I'm going to bring pain. They're enjoying everything, so I'm going to bring pain to them and make them hurt. Don't think of God as a mad scientist torturing his subjects. Think of God as a personal trainer. Does that hurt some of you? Like, think of God as a personal trainer. What does a personal trainer do? I do it part-time. I'm available if any of y'all need me. But a personal trainer, what? A personal trainer comes in and they like, they got like a nutrition Bible and an exercise Bible and they know about the trifecta of diet, exercise and rest and other things. And so their goal is, unlike the mad scientist, their goal is not to torture you. Their goal, if you're paying them, is to make a living, but they want to do it. They want you to get your goals, so they're going to talk to you about their goals. They're going to have ideas for your goals as well. They'll just act like they're listening to you and they're going to tell you what your goals should be. And they're going to try to get you to shape, right? 
and they are going to do things that seem like they're just inflicting pain. But they're, they're not going to say, sit on the couch and eat toaster strudels. They're going to say, get your off the couch and lace up the shoes and let's hit the trails. And let's go to Fondren Fitness and let's make it happen. So they're going to talk about your diet. They're going to ask you how you're sleeping. They're going to push you. They're going to talk about your heart rate and your BMI and all these things. They're going to talk about how to get you tan and toned and trimmed and to master your midsection and lose all that lard. They're going to work with you and it's going to seem like they don't like you, but they're, they're doing things so that what? So that you'll be mature, so that you'll reach the goal, so that you'll have a longer life to live and maybe more energy and all. And that's the role that trouble can bring for us. So see God a little more like that, not as a mean, arbitrary, mad scientist. So temptation happens when? Temptation happens when an outward bait and inward desire combined. The one who taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, himself was tempted. Matthew chapter 3 tells us that Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And when he was baptized, the heavens opened up, a spirit descended, the spirit descended like a dove, and he heard the voice from heaven, the voice of his father saying, this is my son whom I love, who I am well pleased. Matthew chapter 3. But unlike the third chapter of Matthew, where Jesus came from from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, Jesus was led, Matthew 4, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. A little different, isn't it? Incidentally, the first, the first miracle Jesus performed was turning water into wine, and the first temptation he faced was he was invited to turn stones into bread. And if you read Matthew chapter 4, specifically verse 3 and verse 6 and verse 8, you'll see those temptations. The tempter tempted him with this. Um, he said to him, turn these stones. He goes, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And then he led him to the holy city, to a high place on the temple and said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And we don't get that reading our English Bibles, but in, in, it, go, it harkens us back to the 91 Psalm. And uh, there was a lot of uh, Jewish culture uh, context happening there. But, the, you know, we don't throw ourselves down off a high holy temple, but we throw ourselves into things, don't we? And it's the temptation, the first of the bread, to turn these stones into bread, is the temptation of pleasure. And you may be thinking, bread, pleasure, maybe strawberry patches or, you know, candy or something like that. Like that would be like, but Jesus, remember, he was, he had been without food for 40 days. He had fasted for 40 days. And if you haven't eaten for 40 days, bread's going to sound good, ain't it? Years ago, uh, I had roommates. I wasn't married. I had a roommate who told us uh, we were having dinner that night with some family and friends over. And he said, my, my grandma is better than y'all's grandma, and I'm going to prove it. And his grandma, anytime she'd go to dinner that day, she would oftentimes go to Olive Garden. She had a little club of girls, and they would go to Olive Garden. And she would uh, take breadsticks from Olive Garden, put them in her purse, and bring them to the dinner that night. Isn't that great? And just as advertised, his grandma pulls out her purse and all these breadsticks. Un- they say unlimited, right? They say her grandma, she's better than your grandma. And man, Olive Garden, like if you hadn't eaten in 40 days, go to Olive Garden. Those breadsticks are going to look good. And there is this idea there, listen, that we're tempted. We're tempted in what we lack. In fact, your temptations will come this way. You're most tempted 
in the areas where you lack. When your tank is empty. When you're feeling lonely. And notice the enemy's tactic. Three times, all three times, he says to Christ, if you are the son of God. Oh, wait, he just got baptized. Britain got baptized. Some of you need to get baptized. By the way, when Jesus was baptized, John the Baptist tried to talk him out of it. And Jesus said, no, I need to do this. You know who he's thinking of? You. Some of you need to be baptized. If you haven't been baptized by immersion after conversion, let me know. Like, let's do that. It's a reflection of the work of Jesus in your life, and it's an important public testimony. You should do it. You should do it. And Jesus gets baptized. He says, no, I, I need to do this. And as I said earlier from Matthew 3, heaven's open. He comes up out of the water. Heaven's open. Voice of the, the Trinity, the triune God. The Spirit descends like a dove. I love you. This is my son. Not just my son, but I am well pleased. And then the enemy's coming and saying, if you are the son of God. And so here's how the enemy tempts all of us. He wants you to question what God has said to you. Specifically, he wants you to question what God says is true about you. Is it working? Does he get the best of you? Who are you listening to today? We're tempted most, you're tempted most where you lack. You're also tempted most in what you love. Uh, your greatest temptations will be connected to your gifts and your interest for what you're passionate about. And by the way, it could come after spiritual victory. Jesus was baptized. The enemy comes after him, seeking him to doubt what God has said to be true. Where do you lack? What do you love? Where, when you feel empty. What are those pockets of loneliness where you'll be most vulnerable? Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then what you love. Look, if you love leadership, you'll be tempted to use people. If you love to keep peace, you'll be tempted to avoid conversations that you need to have. If you love spontaneity, you'll be tempted by impulse. What do you love? If you love for other people to think very highly of you, you'll be tempted to hide. Not that long ago, someone at our house said, hey, do you have that extra cell phone charger? And I was um, studying for a sermon, which I don't do often at home. It's better here in my office. But that particular time I was studying and I saw that as an interruption. I, I was pretty sure I had an extra cell phone charger. But I said, no, I can't help you. So it wasn't a lie but I could have helped. Well, so it was a lie. I can't help you. And then that little voice, y'all ever heard that little voice whisper? That little voice, you ever have that? That little voice whispered in my mind, you little pastor scumbag. <laughs> and there I was studying for a sermon to tell people how to love people like Jesus loved them. And I didn't want to get up and give a cell phone charger to someone. And so I made the confession. I eventually got up and I gave the cell phone charger and I didn't tell them the full sermon, a full illustration. I'd save it for a sermon, but I just said, hey, look, I, I had this and I'm sorry. When you want to be liked, you want to hide things. When you want people to think highly of you, you don't want to let them know the real you. 
there's a, a quadrant that's it's from the world of psychology. I think it really parallels a lot of what Jesus talked about in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, here's how all of us are created. Like, we, we have different temptations. If we were all in a small group, we could circle up after this, and, and we could just say, hey, you know, what are you struggling with? What's your temptation? What's your, hey, what's your outward bait? Hey, this is my outward bait. Oh, this is my outward bait. This is my, ooh, you got, ooh, you got that outward bait. Well, this is my inward desire. What's your inward desire? We got to be careful when that inward desire is lured with that outward bait. So we could talk about that. But all of us, what we have in common is we want to be accepted, and we want to be known. You ever seen this? And so there's a reality, there's a quadrant over here that if you're accepted uh, but not known, it's called illusion. And this is the stuff of Matthew 6. Like this is where churches, it can be so easy in churches. This is Matthew 6 stuff. I'm going to do things. You're not going to know the real me, but I'm going to do these things and make you think highly of me. I'm going to do the acts, the giving, the praying, and the fasting. You ought to give. The money is not yours. Give, give to God. Worship him. You ought to pray and you ought to fast. But to, don't do it to be seen. An illusion is when you, uh, you're not known, but you're accepted. People like you because you do these things on the outside. Be careful. But then over here, there's isolation. And isolation is it's different in the sense of um, there's pain involved. There's pain in being known but being accepted. And then the third one over here is what we'll call rejection. And that's, oh, there's pain involved in that. But the ultimate, the ultimate is the top right. And it's how you're made. It's when you know that you're loved. This is my son. This is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. To know that you're loved and to walk in that love. Can I just tell you that temptation looks a lot less worse when you know that you're loved. When you can walk in that. When you don't have to prove yourself. When you don't have to hide yourself. When you don't have to live in a world. When you're rejected, you're, you're known but you're not accepted. You've gotten naked with somebody. Like I could even mean that literally. And that's not gratuitous in Scripture. The first story ever was, was a couple. It says they were naked and they were not ashamed. In other words, you know me, you see me, but you still like me. But when you're rejected, somebody knows you, but they reject you. Isolation is to be not to be known and not to be accepted. But to be loved is to be naked and unashamed. It's to be known and to be loved. And that's the gospel message. You'll be most tempted where you lack. You'll be most tempted in what you love. And the answer is to know that you're loved. I'll close with this. Years ago, I was out in California and I was in a gated neighborhood and I had a flight to catch. And I had to get up early to catch the flight in the morning darkness as in like 4 a.m. And I told Siri, to get me to the airport and Siri tried to get me out of the neighborhood and she took me to a gate and the gate would not open and there was no one there to open the gate so I talked to Siri again and went to another exit and there was the gate would not open and there's no one there I started to get stressed I got mad at Siri and then a thought came into my mind you know Robert you could pray you could pray about it. And I, so I prayed. I prayed, Lord, get me out of this 
ritzy, exclusive, gated neighborhood. Deliver me from this opulence and this wealth. And then another thought came to my mind. There was a lot of elderly people, a lot of wealthy people in this exclusive neighborhood. And I saw this car in the early morning, pre-dawn darkness. And I thought to myself, just putting two and two together, there's not a lot of old rich people that are out partying all night coming in at 4 a.m. So this car, these lights that I see, they're probably going somewhere and I'll just follow them. And I followed them and they led me out. And I can't help but think how often we don't pray to be led. How often we don't ask God to lead us. Do you? Or do you think you can do it on your own? This quandary that you're in, this temptation, that's leading you down the wrong path and to death like a life, a path that doesn't give you life? Can you do it on your own? Or you ask God to lead you? He gives a light. And so here's what I wanna say. Jesus, when he was tempted, the one who said, lead us not into temptation, when he was tempted, he did not go into the wilderness without weapons. And he went into the wilderness with the word of God and the spirit of God. Every time the enemy said, If you are the son of God, Jesus said what? It is written. He knew the word. He knew the word. He had the word of God and the spirit of God. And I just pray today that you're not going to go any further into this wilderness of troubles and temptation without the weapons that you need. His word telling you what is true and his spirit to guide you into that. Would you stand? I want to pray over us as our ushers prepare to take up the offering. And uh, we want to close with this really powerful song that talks about talking to Jesus. We've said it before that prayer, don't get fancy, don't get wordy, don't do it to be seen by other people. It's just simply talking to Jesus. And Drew and the team are going to sing it. You may not have heard this song. It's a new song to me. But uh, sing along if you can or just enjoy it as it's sung over you. And may God be honored today. Father, would you bless these tithes and offerings. And Lord, minister to your people as we sing and we hear the reality of what prayer could look like in our lives. And let it be so real that it would be a legacy in homes today. As we'll have sung over us, God, that we can be those folks that are teaching our kids that we have a friend in Jesus and that we can take it to you. In Jesus we pray, amen.